0: So last weekend we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. We had a, a great turnout, a great time together. We had um, time in the park celebrating and eating together. We had sunrise service and, and Easter service here in the auditorium. And it was, it was a week of celebration. It was, it was a great time to be together with the family Jesus is alive and back with his disciples, and as we go through the story, we're, we're going through uh, the story starting in Genesis and working our way through toward Revelation, we are seeing Jesus from the very beginning, and now he is back alive with his disciples. We're in chapter 28 of the story, and this marks a major shift in what is going on in the story because we are here in the final act we are on the home stretch we've been going through this for quite some time and we are are closing in on the end here in chapter one we were introduced to god's passion his love for us he he created this perfect garden and he brings adam and eve to live in that garden to be in perfect relationship with him but Adam and Eve didn't respect the vision of God, and they were escorted out. The relationship is broken. And then in chapters 2 through 21, we see the rest of God's story of his relentless pursuit of his people, his desire to be in a relationship with his people. And so he creates the community of Israel. And it's through this community that he wants to restore his relationship with his created being. He wants to bring blessing to the world. And it's always pointing toward the solution of Jesus. And so then in chapters 22 through 27, we see Jesus arriving to fulfill all of the requirements of the plan, fulfilling all the prophecies that had been laid before him. And he provides a way for us, a way to be forgiven, a way for us to be back into relationship with God. He becomes that guilt offering. He, he dies on the cross for us. He becomes the Lamb of God that is sacrificed. And it's through Jesus that we have a relationship with God and restored. And, and through the resurrection, we see how everything has changed. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we celebrate as followers of his. But now we get into chapter 28, and this story shifts some. We we have a new community forming. Jesus is no longer with us in person. He's no longer with us in bodily form. So what's next? And this is where we're at in our story. Today is, is Family Sunday. And so I am trying to structure this sermon in some way that might be somewhat accessible to the kids as well. All kids, you two over here, okay? So I want you guys listening. I want you listening. And in this sermon, there's going to be six pictures, okay? There's going to be six pictures that you're going to see through this sermon. If you can come up and tell me what those six pictures are afterwards, we've got the Montgomery Kids toy chest up here, and you can get a prize, okay? So be watching I don't know if you guys will like the prizes or not. I'm sorry. But I want you guys to watch for the pictures as well. Okay, watch for the pictures. Because today we're talking about the church. We're talking about the church, which is what we gather in every single Sunday. But more than that, it's who we are as followers of Jesus. For me, not, for me the, the, the coming together of the church is the most important thing. I've dedicated my career and my life to the coming together of the church. There is nothing that I'm more passionate about is the people of God coming together to form the church. And so Acts chapter one and two becomes the most important chapters for us because it, it, it defines what it is that we gather for, why we come together. What's the point of coming together and sitting in these pews? why do we do it? And so this is an important message for all of us of any age. I want you to listen. What is the church and what is the church not? Listen to the answers of those questions as we go through our time together this morning. Chapter 28 starts with an introduction of Acts, which is um, Acts chapter 1. Let's start reading there. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Okay, so we know here that the person who's writing this book, this person is Luke that's writing it, he says, in my former book, what is Luke's former book to Acts? Luke. Very good. All right, we're on a good track. All right, so Luke writes Luke, the gospel of Luke. He probably didn't call it that, but he writes the story of Jesus, and now he's writing part two, which is the book of Acts. After his suffering, which we've been spending the last couple weeks talking about his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, right? We saw that last week. Jesus is alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. How many days does Jesus appear to them? 40 days he appears to them. Does anybody remember from last week how many people he appeared to? Up to 500. How many different appearances do we have from last week? At least 10 that are recorded. A lot, thank you. All right, (laughs) not the kids section over there, right? All right, so he appears at least 10 times that we know of that are recorded and sometimes up to 500 people, so we have great evidence and great witnesses that Jesus really is alive. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus gives them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for john baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized by the holy spirit and so acts is part two of luke's writing he gives us the story of jesus and then he comes in and gives us acts and it's it's a continuation of this story it's part two we call it acts and notice here the word began so all of luke is what began and then we get into Acts, right? So everything that Jesus did on earth, his, his birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, that began something. That was the start of something. Something else that continues with us today. Acts is the second act of Jesus. In a way, he's saying that that everything that Jesus did before, that is just an introduction. That's just a start. That's just the beginning. Something is going to continue on in us. We don't have his physical body anymore. He's not physically up here teaching us anymore. And so something is going to have to change. Something is going to be different. We need someone else to continue what he has started. And so he gives his followers a mission. But he gives them a mission and he also gives them a helper because we're not left to do it on our own. Starting in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What will we be? Witnesses. We will be witnesses. But we will receive the power Of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been with them in person. He had been teaching them. He had been preparing them, and now his teaching ministry is coming to an end, and his followers now have to be witnesses. They have to be a witness to the good news, to the gospel of Jesus. And so what does it mean to be a witness? Depending on your religious background and and what your your religious childhood uh, may have been like, you, you have heard the word witnessing, what is witnessing? It's, it's a verb, it's an action, it's a project, it's a campaign, it's a door-to-door campaign, right? We're gonna go do witnessing. It's something that we do on Monday nights, right? But that's not what he's saying. It is, it is not doing something. Jesus says, be witnesses, be witnesses, not do witnessing, it is something to be. It is a way of being, it is a lifestyle. It is, it is a way of life for us. It is all-encompassing. Jesus calls us to be witnesses, and he's calling us to have lives that reflect the value of God and his perfect community. That in everything that we do, we reflect who God is and what his values are. Now, this can be easy on Sunday, right? We can come into this place, and we can be good witnesses to each other. We can say, hey, God is great. Jesus is alive, and you're not going to get a dirty look, right? Right? It's easy to preach to this group. It's easy to share in that one day a week. But the realities of our lower story, the the realities of our day-to-day lives, the things that we have to go to, when we go to school, when we go to work, when we go home, when we're out in our neighborhoods, the realities of that is very different. Suddenly, being witnesses of God, being witnesses of what Jesus has been, now become a challenge, right? It's hard work. It's tough to do. And that is why we need the power that Jesus promises. He does not leave us alone to do it. He gives us the Spirit. The Spirit is going to enter into our lives for all of us who believe. It gives us the courage. It gives us the guidance. It gives us the will and the strength to accomplish the mission of witnessing. The force of our message will be be our changed lives. They will see the difference in us. The people that we are becoming because of our relationship with God will be what people see the power of the spirit is required for us to be witnesses that Jesus calls us to be we have to have that it isn't on our own strength it isn't in our own abilities we're not the ones who can be good enough we're not the ones that can be cool enough we're not the ones that can be attractive enough it is the spirit of god living in us that will draw people to him even though we the, the disciples had seen the risen christ they are still fearful they are still in hiding They're still scared of what it means to be disciples of Jesus. They're not ready to be the witnesses that Jesus had called them to be. There's a difference between being informed and being empowered. They had been informed on what Jesus had said. They had been informed on what he was about, but being empowered was something completely different. Being informed about the kingdom, but not yet being empowered with the kingdom. And so the Spirit comes in and it empowers us to be about the kingdom of God. Paul says later, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. It's not how much we can talk people into salvation. It's not a matter of how much we can convince somebody by our really great arguments. It's about the power of God working in people, that brings about this transformation. Jesus himself modeled this. The things that he did were through the power of the Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary, according to Luke chapter 1. He preached through the power of the Spirit, according to Isaiah 61. He performed miracles, and he cast out demons through the power of the Spirit, according to Acts chapter 10. He lived a sinless life and went to the cross through the power of the Spirit, according to Hebrews 9. He was raised from the dead through the power of the Spirit, according to Romans 8. And then before he ascended into heaven, he gave instructions to his followers through the power of the Spirit, according to what we just read in Acts chapter 1. Jesus himself works through the power of the Spirit, that same Spirit that's available to us. If not even Jesus would do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, how could his followers be his witnesses without this same empowerment, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit? So, first, Jesus' command was to wait for the Spirit, and then the Spirit comes. This incredible scene in Acts chapter 2 it gives a picture. It, 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 or the the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and and comes and rests down on each one of them. Acts 2, the story unfolds. It gives a picture of what it looks like for the followers to live under the filling, the influence, the weight of the Holy Spirit. They're being empowered for extraordinary acts. A proclamation, acts of sacrifice, acts of love, acts of generosity, acts of miracles and faithfulness in the midst of persecution and suffering. And so Jesus tells them who they will be. They will be witnesses, He tells them how they will be empowered to be by the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them a roadmap of where it will happen. First, it will start in Jerusalem with the Jewish people that already believe in the one true God, and then it will go out there in broader and broader regions. And so here is the plan, but first wait. Wait for this gift of the Spirit. And then it happens. Jerusalem is packed for this, this celebration of Pentecost. It's 50 days after the Passover, and they've gathered together in this room, and the Holy Spirit comes on them like fire, and they're filled with courage, and they're filled with boldness. Boldness to carry out the mission that Jesus has given them. The disciples are, are, are together, and they're filled with this, and they head out into the streets of Jerusalem, and they begin sharing the gospel of Jesus. It is after this filling that they go into the streets and they preach the message. This Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is indeed the Christ. He is indeed the Messiah. And you can enter into a relationship with him and through him a relationship with God. No more sacrifices, no more rituals, no more intricate rules. All you need to do is repent, believe, and be baptized. Their sins will be forgiven and they will be saved from their deserved punishments. By the time Peter stops this sermon, by the time he gets to the end of preaching that day, 3,000 people are added to their numbers. That's a Sunday morning, right? He gets to the end of this message and 3,000 people say yes. And these 3,000 people aren't gathered together in some megachurch auditorium. These 3,000 members are, are in Jerusalem, and the church is born. Now, if they were meeting in houses, maybe you could cram 30 or so people in a house. That means there were 100 houses, 100 houses scattered throughout Jerusalem where people were meeting and gathering and being the church together. And what did they do when they met? This is where we're spending our time for the rest of this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this passage. It gives us this this great picture of what it means to do church. Church what it means to be the church together, what it looks like. And, and we start looking at what the church looks like here and what the church looks like now, and we start to see some gaps and start to see some things that, that may not be consistent. But they devoted themselves to this sense of belonging. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They experienced it over a meal. We got to, to experience a little taste of this a few weeks ago in our communion service in the gym, where, where we were gathered around tables, They ate the bread and they drank the cup to remember the death of Jesus. Then they were a family together. They prayed together. They studied the word together. They took care of their neighbors. They sold their possessions and made sure all the needs were met. There was a sense of selflessness, selflessness, selflessness and sacrifice. This community coming together. And these disciples, these these disciples, these followers of Jesus, these learners of Jesus, they were so filled with the Spirit. They were so captivating. They were so compelling, so magnetic and attractive to the people around them. They were full of joy. And others saw them and wanted to be a part of that. The people would witness this from a distance. They would see this family gathering and say, something cool is happening there. Something is happening, and I want to be a part of that. That because of their love, because of their devotion to one another, because of their devotion to God, because of the Spirit working through them, they were adding to their numbers daily. These churches grew and grew and and new people wanted to be saved of their sins and become a part of this same fellowship that they witnessed. They wanted to become a part of the movement of God. And so that is why we gather every week. This is where our story intersects the story of God because we're a part of this new community. We are a part of, of what started that day. When we accept the gift of salvation In Jesus Christ, we have not only been forgiven of our sins, but we receive the Holy Spirit to empower us. And Jesus doesn't just leave us to carry on the mission alone. He gives us a spirit to to direct us, to counsel us, to empower us to be witnesses of Jesus' transforming power. He also gives us the wonderful promise that he will one day return. But over the years, we have seen church morph into different things. We see how church can be distorted. And so here are a few things that church is not supposed to be. Here's the first one, a movie theater. We go to movie theaters for what? To consume, to be entertained, to watch movies. We go in there for a couple hours, hopefully not much longer than that, unless it's really, really good We go in for a couple of hours and and we we buy our ticket, we find a comfortable seat, We, we have a few snacks and we escape from the world around us. It's an escape. We go to the movies to distract us from the reality of life. And when we leave the movie, what do you like to do when you're walking out of the movie theater? You like to critique the movie, right? You like to talk about it. What was good? What was bad? What was was scary? What was, oh yeah, that that was really lame. That was too slow. That was too fast. They didn't develop the characters enough there. The plot was, eh, did it match the book, it matched the book too well, matched the book too poorly. They really should have added this part in. We wanna be critics, right? And so we go into the movie theater, we sit in rows, we don't wanna talk to anybody. You're encouraged not to talk to anybody or you get dirty looks. And if you're one of those talkers, so help me, don't talk in a movie. (laughs) It's just rude. But you come and, and you're, you're engaged in this screen, right? It's this one-dimensional experience and you go to be entertained and once the movie's over, you move on with your life and you do the next thing. Maybe you had some emotional thing, you laughed, you cried, it, it moved you in some way, but, but minutes or maybe hours after the movie's over, it's gone and you're on to the next thing. When we're going to the movie theater, we are an audience. And the audience should be adequately entertained. And if the movie theater doesn't have any movies that I'm really interested in, I just don't go to the movie theater, right? There's nothing showing right now that I want to go see, so I'll just avoid the movie theater until something more interesting comes along, until that genre of movie shows up, and then I'll show up. But we look at the church. When we go to church, I'm sorry, but we are not the audience. We do not come and sit in these rows, even though they're arranged in a way that focuses on a stage and in one direction on a screen. We are not an audience. When you sit in those pews, you are not a member of the audience. We have one audience member. And that's God. And we come here and we sing not for our own enjoyment, not for our own pleasure, or for the, the, the praise team up here getting some sort of recognition. They are not performing for you. They are not doing a production for you to be adequately entertained. They are up here so that we can be entered into the throne room of God because there is one chair in that room. And we all center ourselves around that one chair and bow down to that one chair because God is on the throne, and so we don't come here to be entertained. The first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This word devoted, they didn't just kind of do it. They were devoted. That's a strong, strong word. It's somebody who's fully committed. They are all in. They're not just kind of in, not just if it meets my own wishes or meets my own interests. Devotion is a way of life. They are devoted to God, and there's a commitment that guides their lives, guides their paths, guides their priorities, their relationships, their finances. It is God on the throne, and we're devoted to that. There's a devotion to the teachings of Jesus Because that's what discipleship is all about. Remember, we said disciple is learner. We're learners of Jesus. And so, if we're not devoted to what Jesus is teaching, if we're not following what Jesus is teaching, we're not really learners. We're not really disciples. Our culture is full of entertainment junkies. We can't take that same attitude with us to church where it has to meet my own satisfaction, my own desires, my own needs, my own preferences. The second distortion of the church is this. A megastore, Walmart, Target, some place where you go to shop, we get what we want The best stores are going to have such a broad, extensive variety that it caters to every want and need that that you could go into this one store and get every single thing that you need in one stop and at the right price. And so we come to the store as consumers. We want to ask that our needs are met, that there's good customer service, that the lines are not too long, that as long as I pay when I check out, I get what I want and when I want it. And so we'll shop around at multiple stores if we have to, to get the different things that we're ne- we need. Maybe there's this specialty store here and this mega store here and, and another store here. And we go from store to store to make sure we get the things that we need. And so sometimes we approach church in the same way. Do, we, do they have what I want? Do they have a program for this? Do they have something about this? If I don't get what I want there, then I can go here. If I will go somewhere else, they might have that particular thing that I'm looking for. But church is not a place for us to pick and choose what we want. Church is a place where we come and give. It's a place where we come and and sacrifice. It's not a place where we come and consume, a place that we get something out of it. We're giving to God and we're giving to one another. The church is a family, not some place to shop. A third thing is this, a restaurant. When we go to a restaurant, we come in, we get seated, we receive our menu, and we're served a meal, right? And we consume what we're fed, and we critique what we're fed, and if we receive good service, then we'll tip at the end, Right? And so, we have certain expectations. Now, depending on the restaurant you walk into, you're gonna have different expectations of, of what level of service you get. You know, if they have those fancy napkins wrapped around the silverware, the service better be much better than walking into McDonald's, right? But we go in there to be fed. We go in there to get something served to us. And so, what would happen if you walked into a restaurant you walk into your favorite place, you sit down, you get your menu, and, and the server comes up to you, the waiter comes up and says, um, I need to take your menu from you, and you need to go into the kitchen and start cooking your own meal. I'm, I'm done with that restaurant, right? That is not the way it works. That's not a place I go to dine. I'm not going to go pay you to feed me and then make me go cook it. But we come into church and oftentimes we have those same attitudes. What am I being served? And how is the service? What am I receiving? Am I really getting fed? And oftentimes we just need to push away from the table, put down our menu and get to work. We've been fed long enough. Some of us have been going to Sunday school since our childhood. It's time to push back from the table and do something with that we see the first church selling possessions and taking care of one another there's a spirit of service and we're all servants we're all working and it's called the priesthood of all believers there's not a church staff and elders that are separate that are here to serve you we're all in this I'm, I'm not your your employee to serve you. The elders are not in this position to serve you. Yes, we come with the servant heart, and yes, we do things to serve, but this is about the body serving one another as well. Don't pin it on somebody else to to carry that towel and that menu for you. Push away from the table and get to work. Here's another image a gas station. I went to go fill up my truck a few weeks ago and I had absolutely no memory of the last time I went to go get gas because my commute is from here to the house and back. (laughs) And that's on foot. So I don't need gas that often. I I had no memory of what gas station I even last used. I don't even know where I got gas, okay? And so we go into a gas station when that gauge gets, um, some of us we go to the gas station when that gauge gets to about a quarter of a tank. Others of us go to the gas station when the light goes off that says you need gas right now. And so we, we go to the gas station to fill up our vehicle when we need it. And, and I don't have a lot of brand loyalty, maybe you do, to what gas station you go to, but, but if I need gas and there's a gas station, I'll go fill up. Um, some of you will drive 45 miles to get a two cent discount on your gas. <laughs> um, hey, but no judging there. Um, when we're empty, we need to fill up, right? And so sometimes we can approach church the same way, where we're, we're empty, so we need to go fill up. And, and so some of us use up enough gas to need that once a week, some of us once a year. You know, how often do you need to go get your fill up? And what gas station is convenient? How many of you sit around thinking about your gas station? When do you think about your gas station? When you need it. I don't think about my gas station any other time. It's not important to my life and I don't, I don't dream about it, I don't spend time thinking about it. My gas station is only important when I need it. And some of us can go even longer and we're just running on fumes and we finally roll into that gas station. We've got two more, here's one. Some of you may recognize this, others not. <laughs> um, I'm told this is a fitness club, I have a tag for a fitness club. So who goes to fitness clubs? The fit, crazy people, right. (laughs) The crazy people go to fitness clubs. Statistically speaking, the people who go to fitness clubs are fit people, okay? So you get a membership to get fit, but you don't really go, right? And so thinking about a fitness club, a fitness club is a place where you go and different clubs are, are, are different, right? You, you, go to, um, you go to some of those grittier gyms and it's a bunch of those muscle dudes and there's no weak guys in there, right? I mean, it's just muscle dudes, right? And then you go to other gyms and it's like all the soccer moms or you go to, you know, it's like different gyms have different personalities, right? But the one characteristic of all of them is they're all in shape, right? Because you don't really wanna go to a gym if you don't have it all together. If you've got a few extra pounds, you don't want to show up at the gym. You just don't look right in those clothes, you know? And so it takes incredible, am I right? Right, yeah. It's like you don't want to show up to that gym and be embarrassed. And so a fitness club is only a place for people who are already fit. Oh man, I don't want a church like that. To be a church where only people who are spiritually mature can fit in a church where only those who have got it together can find their place. I'm so grateful we're not that kind of church. It's like you don't have to be fit to get a membership here. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be a certain dress size. You don't have to be a certain weight or body mass, figuratively speaking. You don't have to have all the right Bible answers. You don't have to have the right church experience. You can come in and find a place. And on the flip side of that, the last one is a hospital. Where a church is only a place for broken hurting people. It's for the screwed up people. Those are those are the people who need church. I've got it together. I don't need church. I've got my whole spiritual thing done, I do my morning devotions, I've, I've, got, I've got my Bible that I sometimes read. I've, I, I can do it myself. I don't need the church to help me do it. I can lead my family, I can lead myself, I can lead my household without a church family because the church is just for a bunch of broken people, the church is just for a bunch of screwed up people. Now, the reality is we are all broken and we're all screwed up, but but we arrogantly think that we're the ones who are not. And so we view church as this place for only people who need it, and that's just simply not true. We were designed for community. We were designed to be in a church family together. We see that all the way back in Genesis where where even before Adam and Eve were created, God is existing in this perfect community. We've got Father, Son, and Spirit all together since the beginning. And they modeled this perfect environment, this perfect community. And then they create Adam and Eve in this perfect community. And then they build the nation of Israel as this community that will care for one another and love one another and bless the world. And then we see here the establishment of the church, a place where we live life with one another, a place of community. God wants us to be committed. He wants us to be devoted to a place of community, a community of faith. Doing it on our own is not what he Designed us to be. Now, this is an, an interesting way to look at what the church is not. And I do not believe that we fit into any one of these real squarely. Like, like we're that kind of church. But I do think that each of us sometimes fall into some of these at different, at different times, right? That, that, that we fall into this trap. I know I do. I, I, I get to these spots where I, I wonder what church is like, and I get this kind of like, well, I wish they would do it, you know, and I'm the one up here doing it, <laughs> you know? It's like, man, I wish those sermons were shorter. <laughs> but if we, if we have questions, if, if we're asking questions like, you know, I didn't really get anything out of it today. Have we ever said that? Have we, have we ever walked out of here and gone to lunch and said, eh, I didn't really get anything out of it today. This wasn't there for me. I, I wish they would have done fill in the blank or led this or sang this. I really wish it weren't so loud or soft or medium or whatever. Man, it was hot in here last week. Amen? It's never hot. See? And we can't even all agree about the same temperature. It was hot in here last week. I was like dripping sweats. Why aren't there more people like fill in the blank? Or why don't we have less people like fill in the blank? There isn't really anything for me. Why don't they have a program for? I don't really feel like. I'm good on my own. How do we all fall into those, right? Some of the time, some of the time we get into this thing where where the sentence starts with I and they. Why don't they do this? Why don't the elders do this? Why doesn't the staff do this? I don't fill in the blank. And so if if you have said any of those things, I have said those things, those are probably indicators that um, we're not looking at church quite correctly. That we're not looking at church as, as the community of faith, the family of faith that God has designed it to be. This will not be a perfect church. You can make your laundry list of things that you think will improve this place, and I have my list in my office. You can make that list of things that will improve this place and it will not be perfect. I have come from a big church. I've been in little churches. I've been in in-between churches, and they're not perfect. They're all screwed up because they have people in them. We're not all going to get along. We can't even agree on what temperature to keep the room. <laughs> but we come together as, we're, uh, as a family, and every family has that weird cousin, right? Right? And so we come together as family, warts and all. We come together not because of what I get out of it. I do not go to Thanksgiving lunch because of, of what I get out of it. I go because it's family and it's the thing to do. You know, we, we, we had a big birthday party for, for my dad a few weeks ago and invited all the family, all, all those cousins that are a little questionable. You know, and everybody showed up. Not because they all just really enjoyed hanging out. Right, Wade? Like, like some of them, it's like, eh. <laughs> It Could have not had you on the list. But we gathered as a family anyway, and it was great. It was great. The family comes together, regardless of the things that aren't perfect. And so there will always be a church down the road. There will always be a church across town that has some other thing that we don't have but we have each other and we have this family we look at the first church they were devoted to the scriptures they were devoted to fellowship they were devoted to sharing and communion they were devoted to prayer they were sharing with one another they were eating together they were enjoying one another they were enjoying their time together and they're praising God. Let's be standing. I get excited when I think about what the church is supposed to be. And so I preach long when I get excited. I'm sorry. The church is a family that comes together. And when the family doesn't always show up to be a part of the family, we miss you. We can't be a part of a family if, if some of the family just disappear. And so being together is not important because of some legalistic checking off the box. Being together is important because we all come to give. We all come to share. We all come to, to, to be together. We want to be together as a family. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. This is a time for us to pray for one another. If you've got something that's heavy on your heart, you haven't listened to anything in the sermon, because this issue, this thing is just weighing on you and gnawing on you, and you want to spend some time in prayer, we're going to have some shepherds down front, some shepherds in the back, and they want to pray with you. It's a time that you can go across the aisle and pray with one another. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're a size Church, where we can we can move around, right? We can move around the room and pray with one another, and, and spend some time encouraging one another. Um, go seek a person out if you know that they're they're struggling with somebody something. Uh, but this is a time for us to to pray and share and, and be together as a family. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time together. I I pray that uh, this will um, that, that that we will see where we fit in this. If, if we have looked at church as a way that doesn't, in a way that doesn't glorify you, God, I pray that you'll forgive us of that. Help us to see church the way you see it, as your bride, as someone you love, someone that you care for, someone that, that you want to flourish and thrive. God, we want to be that church. So God, we spend some time together with you, spend some time with each other, lifting up these concerns. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and pray together.